Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's alright. Long day at work? Yeah, just enjoying this beer. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Hannah and Eric Go Birding. We're a couple of bird brains looking for adventure and some birds. She's Hannah, and I'm Eric. And we're here to bring you this podcast to share our adventures with you and talk about random thoughts on other birding topics. And just a couple of disclaimers, we're not experts, and if we discuss anything controversial, we hope you'll keep an open mind, but also remember that these are our opinions. <laughs> yeah. Our opinions, that's, yep. that's for sure. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about a walk we took with one of the many local Audubon chapters in Florida, and we also wanted to talk about birding groups in general. Got any birding news this week, Hannah? Uh, <laughs> you sound so casual. I do. Uh, so I the roseate spoonbill, which we've talked about over and over and over again, I feel yeah, like. Constantly. Yeah, we're like tracking its whole life. Um, it's been Connecticut's first record, and it's being seen at Stratford somewhere up in the Northeast, which we've never been. Nope, if anybody wants us to come up and visit them, just let us know. <laughs> we need to go to Maine. Um, it's been hanging around for a while, just kind of touring the area. There's also been a blue-footed booby seen in Kane County, Utah, which is the state's first record and just not somewhere where I'd think you'd see a blue-footed booby. Yeah, that's pretty far inland. That's yeah. weird. Cool. Um, there's been a broad-billed hummingbird in Quebec, which is the provincial first, which is pretty exciting for them. I feel like they got a lot of rare hummingbirds up there. Maybe it's just the big year that makes me think that. It, you know, it must be. Yeah, you got uh, Jack Black chasing in the no, rain. No, Steve Martin. Well, Jack Black and Steve Martin. Yeah, but I Ooh. think it's Steve Martin. Yeah, I guess when he's poking his head over the fence. <laughs> exactly, yeah. he does it. He's nice. <laughs> um, there's been a wood sandpiper in Humboldt County, California. And then a bird that Eric's going to say the name of. The Phanopepola. That one. Um, it's been seen I probably a- didn't pronounce it right still. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I'm just going to mess it up. Uh, it's been seen a couple of times in Squim, Washington, so hopefully that sticks around for a month or so. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. And best of all, just today, which is September 26th, uh, this will come out tomorrow on the 27th, Thursday, but today there was a yellow-green vireo that was a state first in New Jersey, and it was a crazy situation. It was banded, and it was fitted with a transmitter with Richard Crosley around, so like, that bird. Yeah, that's, that's super exciting. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and to have somebody there with a transmitter. Yeah. To, that's all, all of those things to kind of link together to try to get all that information from that from that rarity. That's that's insane. Now I'm curious about how many first state records there have been, or state records that have been, that have been because of banding. Yeah. That, which, is, it's that, pro- it's probably, is that cheating? It's, no, it's you're not cheating. You it's, can't count it, though, right? You, you can count it. I wouldn't count it. You wouldn't count it? No. <laughs> It was still you still found it in its in in that habitat there. I know that's just... you just happened to capture it. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, well, I can't wait to hear more about the yellow green vireo. See yeah. see where it goes after that. That'll be exciting. Yeah. Um. So just a little bit about reviews because we've had a couple and yes. we <laughs> we are so grateful for, to you all that have reviewed. Um. We're super jazzed when we get a new review and we got a new one the other day from friend of the show Mark. He said that this podcast fills a niche as it has been a good balance between casual and informative, serious, yep, and passionate, but not overbearing, um, and not too serious, humble, yet informed, visceral, yet somewhat organized. He thinks the pace of the show is reasonable and well-suited to his preference. He's a little bit worried that we will stop before uh, 10 episodes, but enjoys listening. Yeah, I'm a little worried we stopped before 10 episodes, too. But... I mean, we're on eight right now. Yeah, we're get- getting close. Two more after this, and 
We'll be smooth sailing. Right? <laughs> I have the other two already plotted out, so I kind of feel like we're going to get there. <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad he thinks that we sound somewhat organized, because I don't feel organized <laughs> in any way whatsoever. Yeah, thanks, Mark. You rock. <laughs> Yeah. So, anyways, yeah. Thanks for thanks for the uh, the fantastic review. Um, I feel you really captured both of us. Feel you really captured what we're going for with the show. We want to educate everyone on birds, and we want to inspire people without sounding like uh, jerks or know it alls or a holes or anything like that. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So thanks. Um, we hope we won't stop before ten, but it really helps that we've been getting feedback from you all. So keep doing that and help us spread the word and continuing to help us grow. Oh, and another short note. Our neighbors upstairs are... They're like, like elephants or again, something? Like just, just, I, think, I think last episode they were like elephants too. It's, uh, we're recording at a different time of day than we normally do, so it's loud. Yeah. I don't know. I'll, I'll probably try to cut most of it, but I don't know how much, how much I'll actually be able to get. So sorry. <laughs> sorry if it's offensive. <laughs> You're offending me. <laughs> I know. So our adventure this week. We started a couple weekends ago um, when we found that there's a bird walk that the the first bird walk of the season for the Alachua Audubon Society um, was coming up. So, so we emailed them yeah. and contacted and got in touch with them and gave them a heads up that we'd be coming, um, even though we weren't members of their chapter. Which right now we're not members of any chapter. We're <laughs> kind of we keep moving too much we're, we're non-paying no, members of we're the, members of one right no, here no we're members of the aba oh aba is all we're members of so eventually all right well we need to start spending some money <laughs> yeah. sh- shelling out some of the some of the um the fees yeah for uh, membership anyways so <laughs> the contact for Alejo audubon she sent back a very wonderful email saying that they were excited for us to attend their walk yeah so we decided we'd Got the email back. We were, we were excited, so we headed down, stayed in Gainesville the night before, uh, just because it's closer, two and a half hours away from here, so yeah. it's better than waking up at four in the morning on a weekend. So we headed down there on the night before, uh, went to go check out uh, Sweetwater Wetlands again. Which we've talked about before. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit before. It's it's a pretty good place. Yeah. Um, It's an impoundment wetlands facility. It's similar to the Orlando Wetlands Park, which we covered in episode number six. Um, Go back and listen to that if you don't know anything about wastewater treatment facilities and uh, learn all about it there. Yeah. We could have talked a little bit more about wastewater treatment, but... Yeah. We wanted to stick to the birds. I'm sure we'll episode. go to another one someday. Oh, I'm sure. I, I can... I'll, I'll, I'll give you guys the whole lay down of how wastewater treatment works <laughs> yeah, if you just, want it. Yeah, just find Eric sometime. Yeah. Um, so anyways, we started wandering around Sweetwater. Not really looking for anything in particular. I mean, we were just there for the evening. It was... What was it? It was like 6 o'clock? Yeah, it was 7 o'clock? It was, it was almost sunset. And the place closes at sunset, so that's kind of something to keep in mind there. But um, we are wandering around a little bit. Uh, we saw a baby gator. Yay! Which that's that's always exciting. To see, I little, like little baby gators. I guess it wasn't really a baby; it was like a child gator. It was adorable though. Yeah, it still had spots or stripes. Stripes. Whatever. And we don't have spotted alligators. Spotted here. alligators? No, it's they're like they look like spots from above. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> we went down went down the boardwalks, kind of watered around. Uh, we one of the boardwalks that we haven't been down before. We walked down that one, saw um, some ibis, some uh, limpkins. Limpkins. There's some pretty loud limpkins all around. Uh, and then, surprisingly, we got noticed for the second time ever since starting the podcast. 
yeah. recognized. <laughs> <laughs> and it was by Ranger Hannah, which friend of the show Ron commented on how weird it is that we had two Ranger Hannahs together in that in the picture that we posted on social media because I was once a former Ranger Hannah, so two of them. It was weird. It's like the Matrix. Yeah, what did you comment? Uh, Ranger squared or <laughs> yeah. Ranger Hannah squared? Or... I think it's just the mixing of the cosmos. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, thanks, thanks to Hannah, Ranger Hannah, for uh, for a little bit of in, uh, the other Ranger Hannah, for uh, for the little bit of intel she gave us. Um, she mentioned some spotted sandpipers and a solitary sandpiper um, at the other end of the park from where we were at. So, so we walked over there um, and we got them right away, which was awesome. We and then we started to head out because it was getting late um, and we weren't seeing much else after we got some great looks at the sandpipers. And But then I remembered that I wanted to see horses because there's horses at Sweetwater Wetlands. Yeah, there's there's uh, signs posted all around to stay away from the horses, don't feed them, don't don't harass them or anything like that because they're, they're wild animals and they can be dangerous like any other wild animal. Um, but Sweetwater backs up basically right up to Payne's Prairie uh, Preserve State Park, which is one of the biggest state parks in Florida and is an extremely popular birding site. I believe that the water treated at Sweetwater uh, feeds some of the um, Payne's Prairie. It, yeah, I think that's it just, how it works. It just flows, flows, flows right in across there. But um, they've got free-roaming free bison and uh, some feral horses all around um, in Payne's Prairie, and sometimes they kind of don't care about our borders and just move on over to... <laughs> Sweetwater. And we thought it was going to take some searching to find the horses because that was our third time there and we hadn't seen any. But we turned the corner um, to the right, which is the way we never go, and we ran right into six horses. And by ran into, it's almost almost ran into them because of the way the sun was at. There, we walked up to another photographer and he, he said the same exact thing. that He was walking with his head down trying to keep his eyes out of the sun. And he looked up as soon as he came into the shadows and he was only like 15 feet away from him. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. So they they were just gra- grazing along, taking up the whole trail, right in the middle of the trail. Um, one of them looked like it probably been uh, attacked by a gator or something, possibly at one point in its life. Yeah, uh, crazy. Its, its leg had a had a big uh, gnarled, healed up spot, and it was kind of limpy. I guess the moral of the story yeah. is to not get too close to a pond. Oh yeah, don't don't get too close to the pond when there's gators about. We found our uh, impromptu target species, the <laughs> solitary, and uh, so we decided that's that's enough. It was I think it was. Within minutes of sunset. So we decided to head out and uh, so we can get up early for the Alachua Audubon walk. Yeah. So the next day came and we met with Barbara, who's the field trip leader, at 8 a.m. at Powers Park along Noonins. Sorry, it's Noonins Lake just outside of Gainesville. Yeah, 8 o'clock. That's that's later than we usually get. We have to sleep in. Right. It was a pretty good-sized group that ended up at the park for the Audubon Walk. It was composed mostly of um, some new guests and ourselves, and then there were a handful of regular participants, it seemed. But, you know, we didn't know the group. No, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't really know know any of the regular participants or anything, but I think it was more than half half the people there were people that were on most walks there. Um, so we we quickly introduced ourselves uh, to everybody. Everybody all we all introduced ourselves, and we actually recognized one person. Well, he recognized us. He first. recognized us first, and then I realized, oh man, that yeah. So it, it was a, a gentleman. Um, I don't know his last. I think name. it was Bob. It's Bob. Bob is his first name. Hopefully, hey Bob. Hopefully he's listening. Hey Bob. We noticed him. We've we've met him out at St. Mark's Wildlife Refuge um, up here just outside of Tallahassee. And so he was down there, and he actually lives all the way up in Georgia. So he drives <laughs> all the way down here from how, wherever wherever in Georgia to go to St. Mark's 
And then he drives all the way down to Alachua County to go to Alachua County. So he's he's really in it for the birds. Serendipity. Yeah. We ran into him twice. Oh no, twice. Yeah. And we, we gave him we gave him our business card the first time, and then he remembered us giving him a business card this time. <laughs> uh, yeah. So small world. Uh, it was also a pretty small park that's there. It's mostly there for the boat ramp, and it looks like it's a pretty popular place for rowing or crew or whatever you call it. It's a long boat. Yeah. They go fast. They're, they're skinny. <laughs> they go really, really fast. So that's that's pretty much what the park was. It was a, sl- a slip and then had some forested section around the edges. Yeah, and there were some pretty large live, live oaks right around the area and quite a few... Uh... Quite a few, like, wetland species and stuff, because it's kind of a low-lying area. Yeah, and as you got closer to the lake, it was real swampy. Think, like, prothonotary warbler and upland bird habitat. Yeah, like, really, really swampy. I, I yeah. guess it, it floods pretty regularly in that. The trail was kind of flooded. The trail was kind of flooded a little bit. Yeah, but, so we, we grabbed all of our gear. Yeah, gear in quotes. Binoculars and camera. <laughs> <laughs> That's our gear. That's gear, yeah. Um, and we headed over to the boat launch area, kind of made our way over that way to see if we could find some fall migrants. Um, and the wide-eyed vireos were calling like crazy. Like, I can't remember the word that uh, Barbara used, but they're just everywhere. Non-stop. Yeah. So we meandered around the parking lot a little bit and looked for migrants. Um, like you said, the wide-eyed vireos were calling like crazy. We saw the regular lot, chimney swifts flying around, sandhill cranes calling off in the distance, which was super cool. I kept looking up, though, to see if I'd see them fly over. But, no, we figured they were just on the other side of, like, a little sandhill calling. They're probably uh, standing around. <laughs> and uh, there were morning doves out in the forest, too. So it was a real peaceful morning. Yeah, so we got, get to the end of the parking lot. So that's that's when we start walking through the mud, kind of. Yeah, it was grass, but it was it was pretty wet. Um, we started towards the water, searching for warblers in the forest. Uh, first couple warblers, uh, northern perulas, flying up high in the trees, uh, and plenty of white-eyed vireos. Yep. The theme um, of the day, white-eyed vireos. <laughs> we had a, a few pockets of activity um, on the way out, and like titmouse, uh, blue-gray gnatcatchers, red star, and yellow-throated warblers. So there was a handful of different things. Yeah, the red star was pretty cool. We, we, we got down, saw the red star, and then only like half the group saw it. And it was a little bit later when we finally came back, came back past the same exact spot. And then the rest of the group got to see that. Yeah. The, the, probably the same exact red star just picking around at the, this one tree. Yeah, and there was um, there was a red-bellied woodpecker calling from the other side of the boat slip, um, which we're, we're looking up trying to see the red-bellied because not, not everyone in the group has seen every bird. So we're, we're trying to see every single bird out there. We're trying to make sure everyone gets on everything. Everyone's, everyone wants to see everything here. I everything. think there were a lot more like beginners, too, on this there, walk. There were, there were some, yeah. Um, but while we were looking for that, it alerted us to a red-tailed hawk that was flying over. But we were pretty confused because all we could hear was a red-shouldered hawk calling. Yeah. <laughs> Um, which came out right after after the red tail hawk. Uh, it must have been his buddy, or was chasing him down, or something yeah. like that. So well, we saw was, both of them at once. Well, there there was two two red shoulders chasing the one red tail, and they they just came flying right over. I think I think I got a fairly uh, noticeable photo. Yeah, you got some good ones. A recognizable photo of the, <laughs> of the red tail as it flew over. It was it was quick. It, t- it was like two seconds, just choo, 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 as it went over. But. Um, we got up after the red tail. We turned around and kept kept on going out to get to the get to the fishing dock and out on the lake and saw nothing. Not nothing exactly. <laughs> we had some turkey vultures flying around. Yeah, they they were they were pretty far off. I think there was a great egret way out I didn't there see in the one. trees. It was it was it was a long ways out there. Yeah. 
Um, and then we had another stop, so we decided to get back in the cars and got detoured by a few more warblers on the way back, and that included an oven bird. Yeah, which was, that was super cool. So, um, what was his name, Mike? Yeah. Yeah, Mike, he, he was he was one of the leaders. He, hey, Mike. Yeah, hey, Mike, hopefully you're listening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was really cool. He, he heard one calling, and he alerted all of us to it, and within like two or three minutes, pretty much everyone in the group had gotten on the oven bird. Everyone was seeing it, and there was, uh, I think, three of us that had cameras, and I don't know if anyone else got any good photos. My photos were terrible, but uh, I, mean, you I can got some. See it. You, can, you can tell what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you look in the right spot. But, but most of my photos, you can tell what it is. It's kind of like, where's Waldo? Yeah, basically. <laughs> where's the oven bird? Where, where's the oven bird? Yeah, so we got some photos through the brush. Maybe maybe Bob got some better photos, or I don't, I don't know. He has a bigger camera. Yeah, he, he had a nice we camera. We had some camera envy. Yeah, some camera envy going on. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, but um, anyways, we everyone saw the oven bird. Everyone was super excited. Um, a few people it was a lifer for, so that was that was super Woo-hoo. exciting. Um, but we hopped in the cars and we headed up to the next spot, uh, Palm Point Park, up on the northwest corner or northwest edge of uh, Lake Noonan. Yeah, and that was an interesting sight. Um, small parking lot. It could only fit three cars, and I think one of the spots was handicapped. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of us parked alongside the road and walked the road, maybe like a third of a mile down in search of some migrants. Yeah, so Palm Point Park is uh, renowned in Alachua County for being a fantastic spot for songbird fallouts. The folks of the Audubon chapter that live in the area for a while, like pretty much all the people... All the, all the locals there were they they told us all sorts of stories about how when the water's been so low in the lake during drought that you could go out in the lake and do do a lot of shore birding. I think they there. said they had like red knots and stuff. Yeah, out some there. some pretty good um, beach species in inland as far all the way back into Gainesville. And then th- there was also uh, quite a few tales of uh, rare seabirds being blown in from hurricanes onto the lake and just them out there as the hurricanes coming in. <laughs> Check, checking out seabirds before they get rained out and flooded out and have to run back and try to <laughs> evacuate or where, where wherever they went during the hurricane. That's like a whole new type of um, storm watching, storm yeah. bird watching. Storm which, bird watching. With Florence, I feel like there was a lot of people out there doing that. There probably was, I'm sure. Which we weren't really in the right area for. No, we're way too far south. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, yeah. <laughs> when we were there, it was... It was pretty full, the lake was, so no shorebirds, um, no hurricanes blowing in seabirds either, but lots of forest birds. We saw several perulas, in, or, I'm sorry, warblers in the area, prothonotary, American red stars, northern perula, and we seriously had some warbler neck going on. So I had to start looking at butterflies because my neck hurt. Oh yeah, those those yellow warblers up in the top of the trees. Dude. Man, I, just trying to, trying, to see, trying to make something else. I thought at one point we may have saw a blue wing, but they were just... You guys are just reaching. No, no, I, I'm I'm pretty sure it's yellow all the way down to the tail. That have black eye stripe. I couldn't see that part. That's <laughs> that's why. Because <laughs> you just saw the bird butt. I saw the bird butt all all the way across. That's that's indicative. Ye- yellow that doesn't stop at the belly. Continues. Anyways, the I'm not convinced. It, it was up. It was. It's not on the list. We He's didn't put it on the list. We didn't. I'm not a liar. <laughs> we we saw what we saw. I didn't put it on the list. Yeah, but anyways. Um, Every, everyone there seemed to enjoy the walk. We enjoyed the walk. And that's one of the reasons that uh, I I and Hannah and lots of other people love to go out with birding groups. You learn a ton. You meet ton, a ton of new people. And you have a good time. Yeah, and lots of times we find new places to go birding. Oh, yeah. So every, everyone's got their preferred birding spots. And maybe we'll go to one spot all the time. But if we go out with a new group, we get to find new places. And sometimes everyone out there will find this is a whole new place for everyone out there. And it's... 
there'd be one expert of the place there in the whole in the whole group and you get to get to find some new secrets. Yeah. So that was the other part of the podcast. We wanted to talk about Audubons and burning groups a bit because being part of one of these groups has a variety of benefits, including networking opportunities, learning, and just general engaging with others. Yeah. So there's about 500 local Audubon chapters around the country. They offer meetings, field trips, and other events. Um, there's 23 states that have statewide programs and 41 Audubon nature centers. So there's a lot of opportunities oh, out yeah. here. They're, they're, they're all over the place here. I'm sure. I think I saw a video the other day that was posted by the National Audubon about all about how you you probably live within the con, within the boundaries of one and you just don't even know it. Yeah. But I, I want to spearhead this discussion a little bit. Um, that there's tons of things that we could discuss when it comes to Audubon societies, and I'm sure we'll talk about them at some point in the future. <laughs> Um, like John James Audubon um, and the history of them. But today we kind of want to focus on uh, a bit on the purpose and why we think that you should join a local birding group, whether it be an Audubon or something else. And they don't sponsor us, but they could. (laughs) That sounded ridiculous. It was was perfect. (laughs) Oh, it was perfect. Sure. (laughs) Hey, Audubon. So um, there's also some other groups, too, that aren't just Audubon. (laughs) We were part of the ornithological group in Houston, and that wasn't affiliated with the Houston Audubon Society at all. Um, And we chose, there was both in the Houston area, and we chose the ornithological group because it was a lot smaller and just a lot more um, people that were, like, dedicated to things that we were passionate about. So you might look around and see that there's maybe not an Audubon Society in your area, but there's a different kind of group. And they did trips throughout Houston and Texas, and they have monthly meetings and programs, just like a Audubon Society would. Yeah, and we didn't. You don't. You're not limited to just one. We could have joined every single one. We oh, just, we could. We yeah. just don't have a lot of money. <laughs> not a lot of money for membership. <laughs> not <please>. now. <laughs> yeah, um, but there's there's also other groups, not not just uh, specialty um, small specialty groups that are limited like that. But there's larger organizations um, like the te- Texas and Florida both have. Uh, State ornithological societies. Uh, I think all states do. I'm sure. I'm sure. That and there's also do. regional ones too. Like in the west, there's the Western Field yeah, Ornithologist. That's true. We're having a meeting this week. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so in, the ornithological societies and these uh, all, all these different groups, they all have meetings, and at those meetings, a lot of times the members get out and do some birding. These other groups, other than Audubon's, uh, the ornithological groups, the um, the ornithological societies. The Field Ornithological Society. I think those are all kind of the same thing. They're all about the same thing. Anyways, they, they have a little bit of a different focus. Um, the, those other societies, they're more focused a little bit less on community engagement and more on taxonomic changes and facilitating um, contact between professional and amateur ornithologists and birders. Yeah, so they, <laughs> they're a little bit more focused on like the science. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a little bit more professional, um, just in general. They, attitudes seem pretty professional, too. Yeah. And, ones there. <laughs> and looking at the Florida Ornithological Society, they say things on their website, like they publish professional-ish journals. They're not, like, necessarily peer-reviewed. I think some of the articles are, but not yeah. all of them. Um, they provide grants and awards towards research and education. They maintain state records and support projects that collect data in the field and in natural history. So not so much on, like, the field trips, but a little bit more into the science, but not so much into 
with science that you have to have a PhD to do it. Oh, yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, when we went to the um, the FOS meeting, it was... At Tall Timbers. At Tall Timbers. Um, it was so much fun. Er, er, earlier this year, it was it was Not really educational. I didn't I didn't feel completely overwhelmed. No, not at all. Yeah, it was But it was everybody there was, like, super smart, too. Yeah, super smart and super informed about everything birds and super willing to teach everything. It was cool. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, and another thing that birders have started to do, like these Audubon societies, they started to use Meetup to connect with other people. When Meetup first started, I thought it was like a dating app. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> um, it's a way to connect with others and just meet up with groups that you're interested in. It's kind of like Facebook events. Yeah. But group specific. So um, this has given us another, birders, us, uh, has given us another venue to connect with others. So looking at meetups with the topic bird watching, I just Googled it real quick. And there are 243 meetups in the world with about 174,000 members, which <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot more than um, just this 243 groups. But those were just the bird watching. The ones, ones that spe- specifically said bird watching. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and from what we've seen in Florida, um, the Audubon societies um, all around the state, they pretty much all of them, uh, use Meetup uh, to announce their field trips and programs because it pops up on your calendar. It's an easy way to synchronize your calendar right to it, and it's an e- also an easy way to RSVP to the event. Yeah, like that's how I found out about the Latchua one. Um, I'm friends with all of the groups that have Meetups in Florida burning, and yeah. so that's how I found out about it. So, like we said, there are state Audubon programs, there's local chapters and nature centers. As far as local chapters, they have a few goals that are stipulated by the National Audubon Society. And those include things like advocating for protection of species and habitat through conservation priorities. They have to offer field trips, birding field trips, um, identification classes, and oftentimes they'll even offer worldwide travel. Hmm. Is that a requirement to offer worldwide travel, or I don't is that think it's like a, an option? I think this is an option. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which sometimes I'll see, like, Audubons from, like, you know, like, Washington or Utah have this trip going somewhere, and I'm like, hmm, can we join in? <laughs> Which I think you can. Oh, I'm, I'm sure you probably could, as long as you, as long as you pay for the trip. you a lot of fun. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they, they provide uh, a pretty wide assortment of educational programs for children and adults. No matter where you're at in the country, I'm sure you go to any of their meetings, you're going you're gonna to learn something. Either, whether you're a child or an adult. And it's not always birds, too. Like, sometimes it'll be a specific habitat. Sometimes oh, yeah. it'll even be, like, things that birds eat, like butterflies and spiders. And Yeah. You can learn a lot. Yeah, and they also coordinate a lot of outreach events, uh, like birding festivals and other things, like at churches and farmer's markets and stuff like that. Native plant fairs. Native plant fairs, yeah. Um, and they also work to create uh, bird-friendly communities by involving residents in habitat improvement projects. Yeah, which has been another growing trend throughout the country. Programs like the Florida Fish and Wildlife, they have this program coming up called Backyards and Beyond. Um, and the National Wildlife Federation has its certified backyard habitat program. And there are a ton of others throughout the, the country and throughout the world. So just Google what's in your area and see how you can get involved. Yeah, and the Audubon Societies, um, they also provide data on the health of the local bird species. Um, they do they do a lot of, like, kind of big activities, like the Christmas bird counts every year. Which are coming up soon. Yep, coming up. Um, and the Great Backyard Bird Count, which is coming up even sooner. The October 6th one. Are you guys yeah. doing it? Oh, do wait, it. that's not the Backyard Bird Count. That was the big day. Big day. The global big day. Well, that's another one that that's they a, do, That's too. another one that they sponsor, they, they support, yeah. Anyways, the breeding bird surveys, nest box surveys, and plenty plenty of other different types of 
surveys that they they sponsor or they'll support and you can get involved with yeah and and lastly they pretty much every single one i've ever seen adopts a specific location they'll 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 decide this is the location we really want to put our effort into a small birding area a park or well and there's that you know there's birding areas there's important bird areas that have been designated throughout the world and so a lot of these that are near these areas have been tasked or take on the task of helping to support and adopt and protect those important bird areas. So they do a lot, but probably the ones you've seen um, or you've participated in are the field trips, educational programs, since those tend to be the main staples of birding groups. But some of them do huge projects and some of them are just working to get their community involved. So there's a ton of different things that they do. Yeah, we've we've moved we've moved around the country a bit, from Oregon to Texas to, to Texas another again. Place in Texas. <laughs> it's basically like that was that was a nine hour drive or a nine hour move, six, six hour. Yeah, but yeah, moved two places in Texas, moved all the way over here to Florida. Um, but so we moved to different places, and so we found that getting involved with the autobahns is the fastest and easiest way to get tied into the community. Um, by participating in the meetings, finding out when the meetings are, especially if you move in when it's during the summer down here in the south, nothing yeah, happens. Yeah, it's kind of hard. But when you, when you move in in the spring or the fall or the winter, you, you can you can really get involved. They have monthly meetings, uh, field trips, pretty frequent. Most most of these autobahns down here have oh, like weekly, weekly, yeah, we, yeah. Uh, weekly field trips, yeah, which is awesome. And we it gets when you move into a new area, it gets you to be able to meet some like minded people and quickly became be, became become ingrained in in the community here yeah and one thing that we like about birding communities and groups is that it's a great venue to collect people together and allow us to have a bigger voice part of the problem with birding is that it's mostly free activity and you can do it alone i guess that's not a problem that's something that i really like about it you i don't do know it alone. i don't yeah but, it's, not, it's not a problem no but it's mostly free and you don't have to have a license to do it so that makes it incredibly difficult to track numbers of birders, yeah. which is something we mentioned in episode two with the duck stamp, but I'm going to mention it again because it's really important. Um, but right now, the best way to track numbers of birders, unless you guys know something different, you know, we're open to being wrong. Um, just do it nicely. Absolutely. Just, just say it nicely. <laughs> we're always wrong. So. <laughs> Usually. <laughs> um, but right now, the best way to track numbers of birders is through voluntary surveys and you know, that doesn't reach everyone. Like, I haven't been asked to do a survey. Have you been asked not to do any asked. kind of birding survey? No, unfortunately not. Yeah. So that's... If, you want, if you want us to be part of your survey, just go ahead and <laughs> send us an email. Basically, just <laughs> talk to us. We feel like we're talking to a computer sit, and a here, microphone. Talking to a computer, drinking a beer, all by ourselves. Is anybody listening? <laughs> yeah. But if, if you hunt or fish legally, you purchase a license, which is automatically counting you. you you've... You've purchased your license. You're now counted um, in a survey, essentially, as someone who hunts. Yeah, they or, know or fishes. They know your name. They know your age. They know your zip code. From all of that, that goes onto a license of some sort. And so that's a really easy way to track demographic numbers and locational numbers of um, these those activities. Yeah. And I'm convinced that one of the main reasons that birders and wildlife viewers don't have a, as big a voice when it comes to policy and land use issues is because we're not really counted that often. Because yeah. um, let's face it, there are more birders in the U.S. than hunters and fishers. There are there's some overlap, oh, of course. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of hunters and that 
you know, while they're out in the field waiting for that deer to walk past, they look at birds. Oh, yeah. Or same with um, ducks, because you have to know birds to go duck hunting. But there are definitely more birders, and we contribute more to the economy. But that money that we contribute, it goes to travel and equipment, not so much like licenses. And things that are not so obvious, you know, like, say, fishing, like a fishing pole. Like, how many other uses are there for that? No, you could smack someone in the head with it or something. You could. Yeah, maybe we'll try that later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's... It's and, and the money that we're that birders spend unless unless you're donating specifically to an organization, you're you're not buying a license that's going to the government to to have them sponsor something. Yeah, so the only way the government's really counting you is uh use fees. So like if you yeah. go to a park, but then they don't know that's a birder that's, that's true. paying for it. It's just a recreationist. Could, could be anyone. It could be a hunter. Yeah. Um so I have a confession to make. I read studies on wildlife tourism because it's, I'm it's super cool. No, I'm cool. <laughs> Only cool people do that. Um, and according to the 2016 National Survey of Fishing, Hunting, and Wildlife Association um, activities in the U.S., which was put out by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, I believe, and we'll put that in the show notes, there are 35.8 million anglers, 11.5 million hunters, and 86 million wildlife viewers. Like we said, there's some overlap, but combined... Wildlife viewers are bigger than the com- combination of anglers and hunters. By a significant Two- mor- yeah. margin. <laughs> Not twofold, though. Yeah. And I have a confession to make, too. I occasionally listen to my wife. News to me. Yeah. Um, and those numbers compared to the 2011 numbers in the survey show that uh, the expenditures from fishing and wildlife watching has risen and the con- con- contributions uh, from hunting has gone down. And wildlife wa- wildlife watchers contribute more to the economy than fishing and hunting combined. So we have more economic power, wildlife watchers do. And granted, you might be a hunter and angler also. But wildlife watchers have a combined contribution to the, you know, to all of these activities. It's so much larger than these other recreation types. Um, but again, most of that big wildlife watching money isn't going to licenses that help fund these government agencies. So that's why we're not really have as much of a voice. Yeah. So not to get too far off topic. Again, these are our opinions. Yeah. Opinions. And some research. Research, opinions, you know. blah blah Yeah. <laughs> um, but one that's one of the big benefits of being part of a birding club, an Audubon or the um, FOS or something like that. Um, the more people that are in the group, the more you can contribute to the local, local policy and, and issues. And they snowball into, look, into, um, statewide or, uh, U.S. policy. Exactly. For example, Birders United down in the Rio Grande Valley, which I can say we are both super proud to have taken a small part in. Yeah. You know, we... However tiny it was. Yeah. We were living in Houston when this was a big push, but we had a lot of friends that were super involved in this, um... But, you know, the effort that was made down in the Rio Grande Valley to try to affect change in the proposed border wall situation with Mexico, a portion of that wall was proposed to cut right through Santa Ana National Wildlife Refuge. And if you've been there, it's an incredible location. Oh, it's fantastic. And it runs along the border, the river border, which mm-hmm. was why they wanted to put a wall through it. And that was just such an upsetting thing for so many people because it's an incredible piece of habitat. Yeah, and... And and the result of the fight of all the protests that uh, we we were part of uh, one of them 
But uh, the result of all, all this fighting that uh, the birders and the wildlife viewers um, participated in uh, was the blocking of the building of any new wall within the borders of the refuge itself, which says something. It's a small step. I mean, it's a hole in a 50-mile-long fence, basically, but it's, um, it's something, I guess. Yeah. If, uh, and if wildlife viewers can come together and block something that's so cornerstone to a politician's election like this, then and if all of us can come together, we can really do something large. And we're not talking politics here no. or anything. Like, Try to avoid it. Leave names out of it. <laughs> we're, but the, the point is that it's not political for us. It's the fact that this is an important piece of Absolutely, habitat. Yeah. That It's a very small portion of what remains. And just leaving politics and border issues out of mm-hmm. it, thinking about the birds and the butterflies that, and you know the mammals that are going to be affected by it is just heartbreaking. Oh, absolutely. So whether this wall was on the Mexican border or the Canadian border, like it's something that was detrimental. Or the border. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> it's it's detrimental. So it doesn't matter where it's at, but you know, it's a giant wall for wildlife. Well, that would yeah harm wildlife yeah. in the long run and harm birders opportunity to go out and see it. Yeah. So even without a way of us fully monetizing wildlife viewing, we can still make a difference. Yeah. So we'll breathe away from that one. <laughs> <laughs> our opinions. Yeah. Our opinions. No hate mail. Um, so we have um, two, two pieces of news that are, uh, I guess, coincidentally related. Um, we're all set for the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival. Woo! November. Uh, November, yeah. Not next month, but the month after. Yeah. Getting close. <laughs> and if you haven't been before, you need to consider it. Last year was our first year officially guiding. I've guided before in the past when I worked for the state parks. But this um, is our second year guiding. Yep, and second year. last year was a blast. And there are a lot of fun field trips. And the Rio Grande Valley is just such a birder's paradise. If you haven't been there, if you haven't seen the Chachalacas... You have to go. Oh, it's it's fantastic. It's the the festivals from November seventh to the eleventh. Um, is down in Harlingen, Texas. We'll get some tacos. Oh yeah, fantastic. Yes, yeah, street tacos. Bro- street tacos. Hello, Tambaso. <laughs> um, down there, you see all sorts of fantastic birds down the Rio Grande Valley. Um, plain chachalacas, green jays, great kiskadees, and tons more. Lot lots of valley specialties. Aplomato falcons. Yes. All, all sorts of f- fantastic birds. I'll do um, my plain chachalaca song for you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, at this point, we don't know which field trips we're going to be guiding, but we know we're going to have a blast, and we hope people in our groups are going to have a blast, too. Yes, totally. And last little bit of news, um, we're moving to Oregon in early October. Yeah, back uh, back home, I guess is what you can call it. Uh, we're originally from Tualatin, Oregon. It's a suburb of Portland, and uh, we've decided to move back and run uh, Hannah's family bi- family's business. Um We've had a whirlwind of an adventure living down here in the South for the last five years. And after a ton of consideration and discussion, uh, we've decided to head back out of the heat and uh, back to the Pacific Northwest for some Northwestern adventures. Yeah, so just a little background on that for anybody who's going to ask me 100 questions, um, Ron. Uh, (laughs) My family has a hotel on the Oregon coast uh, that we'll be managing. So if you want to see tufted puffins and wren tits, you know where to go. We'll be your guides. Um, Also, our next episode will come out after our big trip home. So just make sure to follow our journey on uh, across the country uh, on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, and by the way, I just started an Instagram We'll get down to that in oh. a minute. Well, I, I wasn't sure if we were going to talk about I that. I changed it. Oh, okay. Well, 
We'll, we'll, we'll save that for a few minutes from now. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. Um, anyways, so we have one more weekend left here in Florida. Um, I don't know. think we're going to be able to make it to South Florida. Probably not. No, so it's, far. It's a long drive and we got packing to do. Um, but we want to see if anyone has any suggestions for what we should do, where should we, we should go up here in Northern Florida. Or On our last chance weekend. Last chance weekend. Woo! So... Thank you, you all, for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something. Please rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to us. Uh, We might mention your review next time if we like it. And if you'd like to connect with us, please follow us at Hannah Goes Birding. And Eric's new handle is... Eric Goes Birding. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's very creative. Super original. On Instagram. And on our Facebook page, which is Hannah and Eric Go Birding, or email us at Hannah and Eric Go Birding at gmail.com. There's, I feel like there's a theme running through this. It's, yeah. <laughs> so tell us what you hated, tell us what you liked, share with your friends, and help us build a following so we can be the bird nerds of the world. Bird nerds of the world. Woo! <laughs> thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks. <laughs>